Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Rules to our Great Lakes Guitar Pickup Giveaway. In cooperation with Great Lakes Guitar Pickups, we've got free pickups to give away. Jim and I will be demoing the pickups as long as our promotion goes on for it, and it's supposed to last for an entire year. Make sure you're watching and sharing the videos with interested friends. I mean, who couldn't use a set of killer guitar pickups, right? So here's how it's going to work. First, on February 11th, a special word will be posted on Great Lakes Guitar Pickups' Facebook page. A second word or phrase will be placed randomly within the episode of the Practical Guitarist podcast that is released on February 11th. Combine both of these words and send us an email with them. All who respond with both words will be entered into the drawing. Also, once you win, don't bother entering again, as you will not be eligible going forward. Make sure you tell your friends. I have to make it awkward and not hit record right at the the number one. Because they they actually make you go through a sub menu to get there, disaster every that's, single time, disaster. That's so fucked up. <laughs> so for for the for those of you listening, now you know why we always get caught at this awkward moment at the beginning of the show. Um, I'm David. I'm Jim. And, and I'm tonight Steven. we have Stephen Miller back with us. Yeah, Stephen Miller. He's a um, would you call yourself a producer or an engineer? Um, all of the above. I do a little bit of everything. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. So Steven used to live down here. Um, he's in my, he's in my house. So now, um, unlike Cliff Clavin, I have one less person I can say was in my kitchen. So <clears throat> anybody who remembers that episode of cheers. So Steven, uh, used to have a recording studio over in Hampton, Virginia. Now you're up in, uh, Pitt- Pittsburgh. Or yes. Uh, I'm in Pittsburgh right now. Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So you're way out there. I mean, that's a heck of a drive. Oh yeah. And you're down here to hang out with family for the... Yeah, this is the first time I've seen family uh, since the new year, and I'm down here recording a band, so... Oh, awesome. Are you using any of your old stuff? Is there some uh, somewhere that you're setting up shop? Yeah, right now, um, some of my gear that I like to use all the time, I'll throw in a rack and take it down with me, and um, we just set up wherever we can and try to knock some stuff out. Um, so depending on whatever the project is, Traveling isn't usually that big of a deal. I can just kind of set up anywhere and do what we need to do. And, you know, and then I take it, uh, all the tracks back home and I work on it and then send out the final product. Oh, that's so, cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's a strange, strange coincidence. You are, are almost a year away from your first uh, appearance on the show here. Um, oh, that's right. For listeners that want to familiarize yourself with Steve's work, we actually featured a lot of his music in the episode. Um, actually, it would be the one year mark right now because I remember that took that episode took about a month for me to get it done. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know the episode number exactly, but but it's it was on two eighteen is when it debuted. So if you guys are uh, haven't heard it, you might want to go back and familiarize yourself with his work first. And I think what we recorded that in early January, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that was pretty cool. So, <clears throat> um, Steve sitting here and. Uh, you know, I didn't write things down because I figured that today would be a good opportunity for just to let Steve talk about. He's doing some mixing online for people for free. Yeah, I've been watching this and I'm, I'm interested in, in how this all pans out. 
yeah, so what um what I thought I would do um is well let me back up a second. The last time I was on this show, I talked about possibly starting a YouTube channel or getting more into videos mm-hmm. uh, of an educational nature. And so this is me finally com- getting around to doing that. Oh, and cool. um I'm right now I'm just experimenting with different formats of you know, how do I want these videos to go and what's going to be the best to get what I'm trying to go for across. But right now I'm doing a series of live stream events where I'm taking tracks that um, people in people who like my page or people who are friends with me on Facebook will, they'll send me tracks of stuff they've recorded themselves. And then I'll bring it into my uh, software and then I'll live stream it and you can see me mix it from scratch or it'll be something I've been working on and I'll maybe pick something apart that I think would be fun to talk about. Um, so yeah, they've been pretty good so far. I mean, I, I watched, uh, at least two of them. I've done two live streams and three or four like little quick tip videos. So, so when you're doing these, when you're doing these videos that, uh, you were talking about, let's say I wanted to, I was, um, wanting to send you some stuff to say, Hey, would you, um, mix this? What kind of tracks, what are the, what are the formats of tracks that you're looking for? Because obviously I can't just send you an MP3 right. or a WAV file. That's already been mixed. So mm-hmm. what is it that you need from the, from the people to be able to get that done? Um, so what I usually ask for is um, just every individual track in your session um, as a WAV file, um, not an MP3. MP3s are compressed audio. So um, WAV files are good as long as it's clearly labeled. Um, all the tracks start at the same time. So when you drop it in your right. session, everything lines up um, and nothing's clipping or, you know, nasty or offensive. And, you know, in, in that regard, like audio wise, um, then it's right. usually pretty good to go. And then, um, you know, I have a, an automated process that I do to, you know, get myself to a start point and then I just go for it. Um but I'm not super picky with what people send me as far as like what kind of music it is or anything like that. But, um, so my carpenter's cover is okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but basically as long as uh, it's, everything's clearly labeled, nothing's clipping and all the audio is in line with itself when it's sent to me. So for instance, I don't want 500 tracks, uh, labeled audio one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> So what that means is, folks, when you're when you're outputting, and this is for the the general populace, not the the person that knows of the stuff. Let's say you put all your tracks in Ableton. Mm-hmm. You don't want to output the entire um, thing, the master rendered. You want the individual, individual tracks, tracks yeah. And the then steps. each track labeled, it, it would be. I mean, is it best to say like guitar one or rhythm guitar or something like that? Yeah, as long as it's labeled in such a way that you can look at it and know what its purpose in the mix is going to be. Right. So I think that would be a good example. So let's say if you have if you have a kick drum, just label it kick drum. We know what a kick drum is, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's say if you have a bunch of guitars, you can say maybe rhythm guitars and lead guitars, or you could say guitar left or guitar right. Um, depending on how you label it is going to give me a hint as to why this track exists in the session. Right. Yep. So um, just don't overthink it and make sure that it's clear and you should be fine. And these can come from any kind of software like Ableton live and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be this expensive DAW. I mean, Oh, it- sure. Most, um, most DAWs will have a function where you can export individual tracks from your audio. Um, you know, yeah, it's a little bit actually of a pain in the butt to do with Logic. You have to bounce them all separately, or you have to do an export, and then 
you know, you get a folder filled with tracks and you got to kind of figure out what's going on there, but um, like Reaper and stuff like that can do it pretty easy. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Reapers, there's a couple less steps in logic. It's not too bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I do is um, I actually did a video on this. If you want to look at my page, but what I do is at every, on every track, I make a blank region at the very, very beginning. Okay. And I join all the tracks together. So they're just one audio file per track. And then if that's you really sharp and then you select everything and then you can go export regions as, you know, right. And that's what I've done in the past export regions. Yeah. Yeah. And then in your setup wizard, you can create subfolders and stuff. Yeah. And they're sitting there talking over my head in a literal and physical sense. One of so, these days, Jim's <laughs> going to get around to learning all this crap and actually use it. I use, I use, um, <laughs> I use uh, Ableton live. Most of the time I just use Ableton live nine. Um, uh, it, and it came free with my focus, right? That was what I was getting at. But I also use, um, oh, there's another one that I use. Uh, it, it was, I want to say it was Cubase. Well, I used Cubase for a long time, but there's another one I use that, um, came with my, uh, with my, um, that thing, keyboard, mm-hmm. the Mark, Mark four, the synthesizer. It's a, it's a, it's no, it's a controller. It, that's really what it is. It's not a synthesizer. You're right. Because it doesn't actually create music. It's just a MIDI controller, which is nice because I can play drums with it. That's what I do with it most of the time. <laughs> I just use the little pads. <laughs> I got, uh, I got this little guy. Oh, what's it called? MPK mini. And Jim's you know, running now. He's, he's running around the room, yeah. folks. Uh, I'm almost tripped over the dog. He doesn't want to be out of the room without, uh, <laughs> Having uh, having anxiety, um, but anyway, the uh, yeah, I use this pack of trollers, and you can see <laughs> it's been a little while since I used it. But wow, um, yeah. But anyway, the um, this this is not as bad as it as it seems. But um, for for I think I paid eighty dollars for this or eighty five dollars for it um, new um, for that price. I got more software. I knew what to do with. Mm-hmm. So and and all these plugins from oh that's it. Oh. Uh, for uh, what was the standard in the late '90s, early 2000s? The recording standard. Pro Tools. Pro Tools. Which what is still a pain. Probably one of the standards. Pain in the ass for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. I think there's a lot. <laughs> a lot more people are more Pro Tools agnostic now than they used to be, but. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's still like the driving force in a lot of professional places. But this thing came with a ton of plugins for that, so I use that when I when I use this. So, yeah, I probably uh, should have laid down a rhythm track today for that. Well, I mean, it, the, and that's typical. Like that's how a lot of people get into home recording is I'll buy something that has all these software packages, but they're always limited. It's like, oh, here's oh, yeah. Pro Tools, but you can have only eight tracks. Well, like, I get eight tracks on the drums. <laughs> Ableton limits you to two. <laughs> Saying oh, a lot of bouncing. Seriously, it, it, Ableton limits you to, to to a stereo pair. Yeah, Ableton Live. That's craziness. That's the, the free version. So you're crazy. Uh, yeah, it's a yeah. So I, I use the Pro Tools a lot when I'm doing obviously more more than just uh, me talking and a guitar. That's it. Uh, yeah, Pro Tools has gotten a lot better over the years. I would yeah. say it's probably the best it's been. Um, for a while, yep. right now. Well, since you're getting into video content, we got to ask because we've been doing a lot of video lately. Uh, what are you using for for your video editor? Um, right now, I'm using iMovie. I've okay, 
couple things in Final Cut 7, but um, iMovie was just a lot faster for... I'm just doing really simple stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, well, in Final Cut and, and iMovie are, are very similar products. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, like, I think if you're editing on a Mac, I would use Final Cut way more often than I'd use Premiere. Um, I, I'm a Premiere guy because I have to use it at work, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm running Premiere on my Mac, and sometimes it's just an abysmal experience. Um, yeah, but, I, I heard a lot of people are having some issues with Premiere lately. Uh, that Well, the new version of Premiere uh, broke a few things that uh, they shouldn't have. Oh. Um, I ran into a situation where it was dumping out my video uh, incorrectly, no matter what settings I would put in. And as it turns out, it was an issue with going from uh, a file I'd created in the 2018 version to the 2019 version. Mm-hmm. And it just decided it was going to do whatever it wanted then. Um, yeah, I've had several issues like that. And I'm kind of wondering why they would release a product that basically broke backwards compatibility uh, on a professional level. But, you know, it's, it's a price you pay for upgrading. The only thing with Adobe is they like force upgrades down your throat. So, I don't know. It's the whole thing. I would recommend Final Cut Pro. <laughs> Never used it, but I guarantee you it's not as bad as Premiere. <laughs> well, I can say that I, so I use Sony Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, that, that's right there. So I use Sony Vegas 14. Okay. And um, I've been using that for a couple of years now because it's out to 15 now. And there are people that use what is it, Movie Maker? Movie Maker, I think it was Windows Movie uh, Maker. Yeah, yeah. Who, which owns now Sony Vegas Pro? Uh, so um, Sony sold it off. Um, the big difference is in the in the stuff like what I did today for the the video I created for the um, the pickups. That was um, that's something you could probably have done in uh, Movie Maker, but I can like put a name tag on your shirt in Vegas Pro and track you and do a yeah. whole bunch of weird stuff in there that that's, you know, professional. Yeah. my son tries to get me to use this, you know, for, for other videos that I do for like bands and stuff. And I'm like, ah, I, I mean, get by. <laughs> I mean, I can do that stuff in premiere, but it just takes so much freaking time. I mean, um, video editing is a whole nother animal. I'm sure you're, you're already learning that. Steve, is it? It's yeah, not, I, I, uh, I should know more than I do. Well, that's the thing. Like you think you j- your skills will just translate over there. And then you're like, what the hell is this? Like, <laughs> no. it, it really helps. Uh, my fiance is the video person in the family. Yeah. She's, she's really solid. At yeah. That. My wife was until I had to learn it. Yeah. Well, she's helping me out so far. So yeah, my son, my teenage son, he, t- he took graphics in school. So he's uh, he's the guy that comes in and goes, I go help tech sport. <laughs> he comes yeah. in and-, and then you give him his allowance. And then he goes, yeah, <laughs> then I buy him a video game or whatever. But it's like, I don't know how to do this. And then uh, he'll come in and do it in a second. And I've been struggling for it, with it for like ever. Looking up YouTube videos and how to, because the key to knowing this stuff, really, when it comes to like, we have YouTube at the, you know, in our back of call, right? But if you don't know what to call it. Yeah, exactly. You don't yeah. know. You have to, it's almost like uh, when you're looking for something in a dictionary, you know, yeah. you have to know how to spell it before you can find yeah. it. <laughs> Well, and then the worst part is now that now that like video when you start getting these video formats and things like oh well I want to make sure the resolution's this or I want to make sure that you know I can slow it down and have enough frames interpolated in between I just start scratching my head and I'm like why is this so damn difficult like I don't understand it and then and then now I'm shooting video for work as well 
And oh. uh, I've become the de facto video guy. And so I'm like, I have to adjust the settings so I can get proper white balance. And I'm, I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, why do I even know what proper white balance is? Yeah. Why do I even care? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's uh, mind boggling that the amount of stuff that you have to learn just to, just to make a, a video for music related content. Like I can't, I know how to make music. Stop it. I can remember, I can remember when it, typically a musician would go on YouTube and just, here's the new guitar. And they would have a crappy phone with a shitty microphone on it or, a, or, a, um, you know, a crappy uh, digital camera, shitty microphone, play the guitar and they go, see the difference. And I'm like, no, I don't because it sounds like a transistor radio from the sixties. Right. Now. It just sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, we're we're slowly starting to have to become not only fluent in in uh, audio controls, I mean, being able to do the stuff you do, um, not at the extent that you do, but in video. So I want to talk to you more about. So you're you're recording somebody down here. Is it metal? Is it is it jazz, funk, fusion? Uh, it's it's more of the metal style. What, yeah. what kind of metal for the for the uninitiated such as myself? <laughs> um. Probably uh, Dugent or Gent, as they would say. Yeah, Gent metal. All right. It's it's definitely in that metalcore, um, melodic, heavy sort of sort of thing. Yeah. As I as I listen to more Gent, I Gent Gent. I think in in France they call it Le Gent. Jim, just go while your head. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I listen to more of it. I start to I start to find that before it just sounded like noise. But it's slowly become where it's more melodic and stuff. Tosin Abasi is like the yeah. jet god, in my opinion. So if you want to hear some good jet, go listen to that. <laughs> so when you're you're recording these guys, have they already laid down certain parts of the tracks? Are you doing this from the ground up? And what are some of the some of the things? Tell us about this process. Okay, so I've I've been working with these guys for a very long time. And usually our process is um they will work out a demo on their own. And once they are happy with it um, on their end, um, we meet up and we just kind of go over all the tracks and I'll pick it apart with them and we'll find like a good arrangement for the song. And then we'll re-record all the tracks just in better quality to fit what that is. And that's when we'll get into like getting good performances and getting, you know, um, good tones out of everything. And now we're really fine tuning all the stuff. So um, they're coming to me with uh, finished songs and then I'm just going in and making the like sonic part of it work. Yeah. Polish it and then maybe re-record as needed. Exactly. Now, when you talk about that, I mean, um, I think that, that, uh, most bands when they, when they sit down, um, and they they say, okay, I'm going to record an album. And this is my baby. You know, the song is my baby. And, uh, you know, have you had any, anything where these guys are like going, Oh, I can't, I can't really, uh, I can't come your way with that because this is how I want it to sound. You ever had like, we, we all hear about it. The guy that walks in the studio with a line six fighter mm-hmm. and, a, um, uh, you know, a Fender Squire uh, affinity and says, okay, I'm ready to record. I mean, do you, does that ever happen or do you? Um, it happens, but um, I try from the very beginning to create an environment where everyone is excited to experiment and maybe not feel so attached to certain things mm-hmm. because um, with the experience that I've had doing this, a lot of the coolest parts of the album were accidents. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so you just never know what you're going to get. And if you're open-minded to um, allow that creativity to happen, you'll get something that you didn't think you could do. 
and it always works out better. I feel so. Well, um, these I guys like are good about um, just trying to like open their mind and you know whatever happens happens, and yeah. if, if it's good, we go with it. If it's not good, you know we'll try something else. But that's yeah. that's my approach. I like to hear that you encourage artists to be creative rather than try to corral that because I see a lot of engineer producers, mostly producers, you know, who are like, no, I, I get that you've got this great idea and like this grandiose vision, but we're going to narrow it down to a very small focus and try to keep it, you know, a certain way. And, and it, I think it's done to make it more packageable in a lot of cases, but a lot of times like, specifically I'm thinking of like queen and bands like that. If those guys had been limited in the studio or whatever, we wouldn't have so much output that they, oh, that they were able to put together. I mean, especially at that time, people were using the studio as an instrument itself. Yeah. Even, you know, with all the Beatles stuff that, you know, they were doing in the studio or yep. even with queen, like on the profit song where you have all that yep, yep. echo, that echo section, you know, that was all experimenting in the control room. That wasn't, you know, someone didn't play that on the guitar and decided to do that. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. You get Pink Floyd with the, uh, the, the sound of the money <laughs> and how Alan Parsons got that to work in time in oh, seven yeah. And, uh, of course I, when you talk about that, I think about, you know, the, the poppiest song in the world, but, um, I'm not in love by 10 CC. When you listen to the beginning of that, what most people don't know is that's just, um, looped tracks of people going, ah, in a, in a note. Mm -hmm. And it's just the, the, what you were talking about the um the sliders were a keyboard and you slid in the note as a chord mm -hmm. so you you allowed the loop to to come in that way that's why it gets really breathy and it gets really open it's a, that's one of those ones that i go back to and i tell it when somebody tells me about that stuff i go yeah those guys were i mean they were way ahead of their time right. um, it's really cool for sure yeah yeah so um <clears throat> we talked about I mean, what when when somebody is bringing in their gear nowadays? Are, are you using more like we we were obviously Nam is closing up today or closed mm -hmm. up today, um, and are you seeing more exciting products to allow people to not have to bring in like okay now we're going to bring in a nineteen uh, sixty um, and I don't mean the year I mean the nineteen sixty eight the cabinet mm -hmm. or giant the, Marshall four twelve <laughs> four by twelve cabinet okay we've got a one hundred fifty watt Marshall head we've got four Marshall cabinets mm -hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna mic every single speaker up I mean is, is, what kind of exciting things are you talking because we talk about IRs all the time on the show uh -huh. and that's one of the things that, yeah. Well, I mean, it really all just depends on what your goal for the project is. If, you know, you're budget conscious and you work really well in the box and you just want to get something that's good and, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of time doing everything in the box and using an axe effects and recording your vocals, that there's totally nothing wrong with that at all. Um, you can get really good results with that. But if you're playing like Stoner Doom or Sludge or something like that, you're going to probably want like amps cranked to 11. Yeah. Um, and, and some of these exactly so <laughs> you just have to just think about what your vision is and how far you're willing to go to see it through and the um you know those options will lay themselves out and you just kind of pick and choose where you want to go with it sometimes you make compromises sometimes you don't um but you know as long as you're happy with the product at the end it really doesn't matter how you get there yeah so i think if you are a um if you're a, like specifically like if you're a guitar player and you are trying to do more stuff in the studio, it's good to 
um, be aware that there are a bunch of different products and you might be in a certain situation where you can't have, you know, the, this, this recording setup that you would wish you had, like, you know, with the amp and the cab and all that fun stuff, you might have to just show up, plug into a Kemper and do your thing and get out. And that's all the project allows. And you just got to be okay with that and yeah. not cause a stink and, you know and, I mean? and not be a diva. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, I think a lot of people, um, when they go into the studio, just leave all of their expectations at the door and just do whatever works in the moment for the track. You know, have you ever had a band where you said, all right, guys, this is, this is not going to work. Ooh. Um, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had to have many conversations like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to vet people very carefully before I work with them. Um, so that helps. Yeah. I remember you talking about going and watching a rehearsal before yeah. and stuff. And I know a lot of guys don't get involved on that level. Exactly. I, I do what I can to do my homework on them ahead of time. And I would hope they would do the same with me. So yeah. when uh, someone is interested in working with me, I lay it all out there. I'm very upfront. I tell you, you know, based on what you tell me you want your project to be, I'll give you a price. I'll give you um, uh, like example recordings that I've done that might fit that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just very transparent about it and they either say yes or no. And by that point I've already kind of, felt like I'm saying yes to them too. So it just kind of works that way. It prevents a lot of, um, you know, people showing up into a situation and thinking it's going to go one way and then it really goes another. And then, well, Hey, you said, you know, and then <laughs> I'm like, no, we're going to talk about it all up front and we're going to be on the same page and we're either going to move forward or we're going to, you know, find something different. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I try not to overthink it. I just, you know, if they're cool people, we yeah. go for it. So, yeah. So when you're, when you're, um, when you're talking to uh, somebody and you're, and you're getting ready to vet them, so mm-hmm. to speak, uh, how is it that, like, what, what, what exactly are you looking for? I mean, we hear horror stories. There's a, there's one YouTuber in, in particular who's, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you might know his name. We're not going to, we're not going to mention his name here, Glenn Fricker, but. Um, freaking <laughs> uh, interesting guy. And we like the guy. I mean, he's, he's yeah. actually a good guy. He's funny. He's got, you know, a certain thing. Um, but uh, he, he talks about some of the horror stories he put up with, and oh well, he's he's right. He's, he's, he's <laughs> so you've had the the singer that tries to cut the mic and says, "All right, that's how it. That's how it's done by the pros." No, there's no pro that cuts the mic. Uh, yeah, yeah. For anybody who watches him that isn't a producer and just thinks he's exaggerating, he's totally not exaggerating. No, no. So you never played with enough musicians. Yeah, <laughs> like, um, I've. Uh, <laughs> I've had, um, well, that's the thing that, uh, when you're in, when you're a producer, you have so many different situations thrown at you, you know, on top of recording this band, you have to be their vocal coach, their guitar teacher, their therapist, their mom, uh, you know, (laughs) that's for the bass player, right? You have to be their mom. That's just for the bass player. All of that. You know, the the referee, the water boy, you name it, you're it. Cause you know, um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of that movie uh the the uh, An- story of anvil where they're fighting in the studio yeah <laughs> like physically or, fighting or when you have uh um yeah I've, I've had people fight in my studio I've, I've had to send people home because i didn't know their parts i've had to um oh that's awful you know there was uh how can you not know your parts that's what i don't get yeah. you're, you're showing up these guys are paying you know, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you for a number, but X dollars a, a day or an hour for studio time. And 
and they come in not knowing. What do they have? The, what is the expectation when when somebody walks in and says, do they think they're just going to pull it out of their buttholes? Is it, is it like, I'm going to be like David Gilmore? Some people so. think they can just come in and sit down and do it. Yeah. Um, there's it was a dog. <laughs> the three most common things I notice with people who don't know their parts is either when they were all practicing as a band, they weren't paying attention to each other. And now that you're under the microscope, it's like, wait, you've been playing that the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. That happens in even cover bands. Exactly. Yeah. So I see that a lot. I also see just people who are delusional and think they're way better at their instrument than they really are. And, yeah, run into the yeah. And then when you try to explain to them why it's not working, they will get defensive. But some people are, you know, cool and they they switch it up. But then um, uh, there are just people who they just show up and they're not prepared and they waste everyone's time. So wow, and money, and money. And yeah, have you ever had one of those situations where like bands in there? Uh, well, we use guitar players because this is obviously a guitar podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, let's say you know one guy's doing all the he's supposed to be the rhythm player and the other guy's supposed to be the lead player but they're mm-hmm. like you know what we just want you to you know, speaking of the rhythm player or something like we just want you to play everything because you you know you have everything solid and the other guy's like he's good and he's got it down but but he just doesn't bring in a vibe to the track or it's just going to sound tighter if you have the same guy do both parts oh i mean we do stuff like that all the time i mean the band i'm working with right now um, there are three people in the band that play guitar. There's only one person who is actually quote unquote, the guitar player in the band at the moment, but whoever has the song in their hands better at that moment in time, that's who's going to be on the track because the goal is a good song and a yeah. good recording, uh, not, you know, well, we have yeah, to have not, this person on everything because that's the guitar player. Yeah. Not whose name is on the, exactly. Uh, the they have a vision for the song. And as long as they see that through, they're not too concerned about who did what, you know? And that's, I, I love having that freedom with them. That's a super cool thing to hear. Um, I know that I know, I, I know of some other bands locally who have done, gone through that mess and been like, yeah, all the parts on this song suck because I didn't get to play my parts. Like, so it just sounds like trash. And it, you almost see a band disintegrate when somebody goes into that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's a sad thing, but I know, I know there's probably some argument about that at some time where it's like, no, they're not going to play my parts. They're my parts. Um, so. Yeah. And, and Igu can definitely kill a project. Um, but hopefully the band has taken it upon themselves to work that out ahead of time. So I don't have to. Yeah. Or they're willing to, to like play ball on that too. Exactly. And so, I mean, sometimes I will step in and say, you know what, um, you know, we're doing a double track here. Uh, you guys aren't agreeing on maybe the nuances of this one little part or something. You guys need yeah. to either agree on it or have just one of you play both sides of it or something. Yep. And, you know, usually no one fights about that, but um, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had anyone come in and, uh, um, you know, complain about someone else like playing their, their riff or something right, and, right. and getting all bent out of shape about it. Um, have you ever have you ever had it where you did the recording of both and then chose one over the other uh yeah Mm -hmm. oh yeah of course and and you know actually when you're doing that kind of stuff like if you're doing doubles because that would be the common reason i would see that this might go on i mean people don't understand if you've never done it before 
it's little micro stuff that you oh, yeah. listen for to like say, oh, this is out. It's like the decay of a note is slightly off, or um, you know, one person is slightly ahead of the other guy, or yeah, I mean, and, and it the the amount of difference I can't I can't stress enough is like microscopic, oh, yeah. and uh, so you know, the really good guys, if, if it's a two person band like the Judas Priest types and stuff, they've got it down solid, or it's really just one of the guys playing all the rhythm parts. Um, ACDC is a classic example, you know. Yeah. The, uh, the biggest reason why I think I like to do one person on rhythms is, um, guitarists have a really hard time. Um, like two different guitarists have a really hard time matching up, especially on maybe eighth note runs. So Mm -hmm. let's say you have like a metal song with lots of chugging, uh, you know, you're just riding on eighth notes on one note or something. You're not going to like upstroke and downstroke at the exact same time someone else will. And you have practiced that thing that way with that push and pull against that track for so long. There's no way you and that other person are going to be matching unless you're practicing it together. And so when we talk about really cool guitar duos and stuff, that's kind of what we mean is how well they're locking together that way. Yep. Yeah. Um, So very rarely does that happen. I mean, you can do it without, you know, just one person, but. I find having one person doing all the rhythms, you know, they're like a machine and they can just do that same thing over and over again. And you're going to get, you know, solid takes every time. Yeah. yeah. Does that makes sense at all. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Makes there are some people that can't do that. Mm-hmm. Every time they do it, it's going to be off. I was today, I was recording a, a little thing and I have that little looper pedal on the floor there mm-hmm. behind you. And um, so I had to create a track and I had to create a loop. And people don't appreciate how hard it is to start a loop and then stop a loop and then have it sound like one continuous exactly. thing. I mean, I must have yeah. done it 18, 20 times, but I would sit there and I would practice it and practice it and practice, practice it. But of course, there's that, that practice of punching in and punching out. And, <clears throat> you know, you talk about that. You get these bands that are like, that's not how we sound live, man. We want a sound that we do live. And what I don't think they realize. So you want to mic up a PA. Yeah, most of the time, yeah, just like a PA and get out of here. Uh, most of the time, though, bands don't realize how sloppy they are live. But sloppy, oh no, what's that? I said, oh no, yeah, I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I totally it, agree. See, it doesn't, it doesn't translate to recording. I think that one of the differences for you when you tell a band, let's say they the, the, they come in and say, "That's not us live. That's not, it's not uh, our our live feel." How do you how do you explain to them? Hey, look, this is a recording. It is, it is. Well, I'm going to let you. Well, I guess what they need to realize is, do they want it to sound like something that they hear on the radio or do they want it to be a demo? And usually when they say, oh, we want it to sound like it is live, they're either asking for one of two things. Either they want it to just be like a demo that they can show off to people just for like booking shows or whatever. And it's just, you know, maybe not the best quality in the world. Or they literally mean we want to go into a studio and track live together with no metronome. We're all doing that together. Okay. Um, so when you're going, you know, all in on the no click track, we're all playing in the same room, all that stuff, you know, you better be really good. Yeah. Take, take a week or two to rehearse and make sure you're ready before you do that. <laughs> and I mean, before you even step into that room, you should try to record yourselves as much as possible to make sure that everything's lining up, to make sure that you're moving through at the right tempos, to make sure that things aren't, 
you know, speeding up and slowing down randomly. Um, The things that I hear all the time that ruin live recordings for me in like a studio setting, Mm -hmm. um, drummers that don't pay attention to keeping their snare and kick locked together when they hit so that you get the of the kick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bass players and drummers agreeing on the length of fills and um, and hitting together like in quarter notes or eighth notes, like making sure that that's all locked in together. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have two guitar players that are playing together, eighth note passages that are chugging along, you'll hear like this sort of phasing thing between them because the down picks are not hitting at exactly the same time. Yep. Um, when you have vocals and backing vocals, making sure that all of the syllables and like the T's and the S's and the pus sounds are exactly together. They line up. Or you get like a S kind of yep. sound or a, you know, yeah. you hear that flam. Which is just as different as that right. flam. That's- so saying all of these, all of these things that are floating around that we are used to hearing locked together and a quote unquote correct recording, right. you're not getting that live. And so the best thing you can do is um, practice your butt off and take care of all those little minutiae and then you're going to have a really awesome live tracking session. Yeah. So well, it's I, really painstaking detail. Have you ever you had a band to come in and like nailed it live? They were, they were able to get in the room and uh, my band does. <laughs> oh, I, believe, I believe it. I believe it. Um, yeah. We, um, we track together as a group. We workshop all of our songs together as a group. Yeah. Um, so to get that same vibe, we always, play live i guess yeah um and so what we do is we track the drums and we have the bass player and the guitar player in the same room with the drummer they're on headphones and they're playing along we have their amps isolated somewhere else and then we just have them play through the song over and over until we have a take or a couple takes that are really awesome and then we splice all the riffs apart and then stitch together a super take and then there's our there's our record right um and uh we've been working like that for um about two years now and sounds great. Sounds yeah. like uh, it sounds like us had a show on our best day. But um, you know, we're we're talking about doing something different. Maybe going with a click track next time. We want it to be a little bit more polished, probably next time around. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do a live recording, you do sort of maintain that uh, that energy you get when you see a band that's really exciting. So, and you actually get to hear them. You know, you hear the musicians play on the record, which is also cool. They're not time edited to crap and sample replacing. Right, right. <laughs> you can hear it pushing and pulling. Exactly. You know? So, and my whole thing is, as long as you can listen to the recording and you can hear the song and it's coming across well, and you can listen to this and be like, you know, this song sounds like a song to me. You know, there's drums and there's vocals and there's a melody and I can tap my toe. Like, it's a good recording. It doesn't yep. matter anything yep. else. So, yeah winded explanation no no there's a lot of information in there you know um you talked about playing to a click i don't think well before we get to that because i I, i'm going to kind of come i want to come back to that but have you ever had to go in and overdub somebody's part you ever had to do that uh you know that producer thing where you go this guy it's just the guitar is not going to happen or the bass is not going to happen yeah i'm going to have to go in and i'm going to have to do it for them even if it's just a punch in for a few notes or whatever um i will do whatever i can to um, service the final product, whatever that is. Um, I think, well, I would hope that whoever my client was would care about the end result more than what the process was. Sure. Um, So if if I see something that I feel needs to be changed, I will just go ahead and do it. And if they notice it, 
and say something to me, I will have that discussion with them and talk about it. Right. Um, or even if they like what I did, but maybe want it done a different way, you know, we'll right. have that conversation. And sometimes if it's something I know they might fight me on, I'll have, you know, a talk with them about it. Right. But typically, um, I just assume they trust me to do my job and I'm just going to do that. So. Now, going back to the click thing, <clears throat> you ever met somebody who couldn't play to a click? All no time. matter what? All the time. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. All the time. I just wanted to pay. I, I I'm probably one here. of them. For people who think that that's easy and you should be able to do it, and it's just something I can practice this in a couple of weeks, I'll have it. That is not. You know? No, it takes a lifetime almost. And I don't say this to make fun of anybody. It's definitely not something to make fun of someone about. No. But it is a skill. It's not something you can just, no. you know, oh, well, this is what we're doing tomorrow and here we go. Yep. Um, if you want to record a click with your band or, you know, for yourself, practice doing it for a while yep. before you go in. Uh, because what it'll do is um, not only will it force you to be aware of where every beat is, um, you are now performing everything at the exact same time for the recording will be. So now your muscle memory is going to match what you have to perform right. for the take. So I always recommend doing that. I, um, I wanted to insert myself here a little bit. I have a theory about why some of these skills are lacking. I think a lot of bands, because so if you go back to the 70s and 80s, really <clears throat> the early 80s, there were no home recording studios. At most, you might have a two-track somewhere um, that you have access to. And so for bands to be able to workshop a song, record it, and then practice along to the recording, that didn't exist back then. And I think a lot of people do that today where it's like, okay, so I'm working, I'm doing a singer-songwriter project, and the, and the guy's got tons of music worked up, and he's recording it, and he's handing it to me and asking me to figure out my parts and, like, design something that goes with it and then we'll record on top of that and then we'll use that as a rehearsal because we don't really get together that often that's a problem because if you don't if you're not in the room with that individual right. you're never going to be in any situation other than to be able to play to a click right because you don't have the rehearsal hours driving it and i think a lot of people don't understand that there's a difference between the way the bands operate today versus the way the bands operated 20 years ago and that that has negatively impacted their ability to play the instrument there's yeah, there's definitely um, something to be said for that cohesive. Like you were talking about your band, Stephen, and the way that they could um, cohere. You guys cohere um, without really thinking about it now. But that wasn't overnight. No. Um, yeah, all those guys have been playing to uh, playing together a lot longer than I've been a part of it, and so um, you know they know where each other is going to be. Um, so, you know, all the things that come with, you know, playing with people for the same, same amount of, you know, ah, I can't talk no, that's right. <laughs> things that come with, uh, you know, playing with the same people for a long time, you get that added benefit and you right. know, great things take time as you know. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, I've, I've spoken with, um, every band that I've ever been in, I've been in mostly cover bands, but I've done, um, original music as well. Mm -hmm. And the, the fact is that even in a cover band, it is extremely important. Maybe even, I'm not going to say it's more important, but I will say it. <laughs> Maybe even more important that you are, you are dead locked in together because, um, pop music and, and most cover music is pop music. Mm -hmm. Um, at least in my circles, the, the, um, 
that music, um, it, the people are singing along to it, whether they're dancing at the time or just at the bar singing or their table singing or standing in front of you doing a line dance singing or whatever, they're singing along. So they need, you are their timepiece oh, yeah. and you are their, you are their time. And that will throw off an audience and that will make people go yuck. And I've been, I've been there when, when famous musicians, I don't care if it was Van Halen or Stevie Ray Vaughan, who, when they had their awful nights and they were phoning in and they were, they were too drunk to play. Let's face it, we're too, too or, stoned to yeah, play. Yeah, too coked out. <laughs> they, they, they were awful. No, people were trying to sing along in the audience and the people in the audience were better than the band and that's terrible. I mean, that's just, that's just terrible to hear, but you know, you get that. And um, uh, there's just no excuse for not working together. There was a time, like you said, David, the bands in the seventies would get together and <clears throat> before you even went to the rehearsal studio and it wasn't, it wasn't unheard of for a record to take a year or more, two years. Oh, yeah. You know, think about the amount of time that were between most of your Pink Floyd albums and so on and so forth. There was, um, you know, name, name seventies, Rocky or a band, this Zeppelin, the who, whatever. And they would, they would write this stuff on the road. They were playing it for audiences before they even, you know, went into a rehearsal studio, then worked them and then, and then went into a, re, um, a uh, you know, a studio to record. And I think that's, that's why it's always surprised me when somebody like you and Glenn Fricker mentioned the same thing. Like people come in and not know their parts. You have been playing a song for how long? You don't really, probably, I understand if the band just hired you yesterday yeah. or last week, but you don't know your parts. It's, it's just kind of like, uh, kind of like weird to me. It's mind boggling. And where it really comes in handy is if you can go into the studio know your part front and back, it allows you to be flexible. So when someone in the moment has a really cool idea on maybe how to tackle a certain section, you're ready to go and you know your stuff and you can make it happen to serve the idea, you know? Um, So there's more at your disposal if you know your parts and uh, potentially better product. So, well, I, 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 Kind of harkening back to that idea I was bringing up a minute ago. I think the advantage of the click, not only because it gives you a better result or, you know, just trying to get perfect music um, may fit your project. But but the point is uh, that that you can actually practice with the click at home. You right. can't practice with your bandmates 24 hours a day. And so that's a translatable skill. Like if you have that, chances are you're going to be able to lock into a band better. But not only that, when you do go into the studio, you're going to be ready to rock and roll. And there's not. Gonna- I, I think there's a. I think that there is a um, a, a way that or, um, a mentality these days that oh, if you use a metronome, you're lesser of a musician. Oh sure, I've heard it. Yeah, and I, I hear it all the time. Oh man, you don't need a metronome, man. It you play with your soul. You play with your heart. Yeah, you cl- the click kills you. Kills your groove. Oh God! No, there's no groove because your songwriting sucks. <laughs> Those are the same people who say that uh, music theory is preventing their creativity from yeah. flourishing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my ability to read and write has has um, really I have ruined your ability to write a novel. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what Stephen King says all the time. <laughs> oh my God! Um, I'm just saying. Yeah, so, if, if I don't know it, if guitar is your passion and that's an aspect to it, right? I feel like maybe that would be something you would want to look at at, at a bare minimum. Right. 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 You know? Well, I look at it and I say, I say, you know, there are times where you could go buck wild and deviate from all that stuff. And maybe you don't want to approach it that way when you write it. But at the same time, like 
you have to know how things work so you can at least communicate your ideas to somebody else. Right. I think that's the thing that people forget when it comes to theory is theory is like, it is a language and it is your ability to speak the language of music and the ability to say, Hey, this is in one, four, five. I know people that don't know what one, four, five is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, really? That was the first thing I probably learned, (laughs) you know, and, Go back. Let's take it back for a second. So if you go back to the fifties and, and really like the, the era before demo recordings, right. Um, how did musicians communicate their ideas orally? Right. They, they, they'd say we're doing a one, four, five, or they'd write it out. And a lot of music was charted and we have lost that today. Like charting is not something that goes on as much anymore because I can just record it. I can, I, any, any idiot, and go to the store and buy a four-track digital recorder and do a demo real quick. I mean, that's that's where we've gotten. Now, it's not going to be a good demo, but the point is that you don't feel like you have to have that same level of communication going on, but what, but you're losing a big chunk of what the product actually is, is to everybody come together and come up with this cohesive whole that actually says something. Well, now you've got... Um, you know, the tools at your disposal make it that the, there's no excuse. I mean, you have, you, you can have an iPhone and an interface. And if you've got the right DAW, your iPhone with GarageBand is enough to make decent demos these days. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I have a group of friends. They, uh, they made an album of all original music and it was inspired by the Beatles album Revolver. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that was recorded on a four track tape machine. So they recorded their entire album in GarageBand on an iPhone, which also only has four tracks. Four tracks, right? And so um, it was a really cool project, and um, it you know had a neat little vibe to it. Yeah. But you know, sometimes uh, even changing your process can affect the way something sounds too. Yeah. Um, so if you're a guitar player and you you feel a little closed off to um, you know playing with a click or learning music theory. Um, definitely just, you know, look into it and, uh, you know, the more you learn them, you know, the more tools you have at your disposal and right. you're only hurting yourself, you know? Right. It's just like you own a toolbox and you have, you know, you have this, uh, big old toolbox. You don't always use the impact wrench, mm-hmm. but when you need the impact wrench, you have it. You know what I mean? I would. That's, that's, I guess that's the best analogy I can bring. I mean, it all you have an impact is an impact wrench. Everything looks like a nut. <laughs> Well, and, and this too, you know, if, uh, let's say you do come up with a really cool riff and you don't know any music theory, um, you know, you'll never know what it is about that that makes it cool for you. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, if, um, if you knew a little bit of theory, maybe then you can figure out why this works and then you can share that idea with other people and yeah. everything's cool. Yeah, exactly. But, I'm going to say something really funny. Yeah. Could you imagine making gent music without music theory? Yeah. Or math, math, <laughs> yeah, or math, math rock, like mm-hmm. those genres simply would not exist. Yeah, mudvayne, yeah, mudvayne would not exist without math or without the theory. There's a website out there. I forget what it's called. I need to find it again. But this dude made a, um, like a riff generator. Yeah. Like a deathcore breakdown generator or something like that. <laughs> yeah, where you can you can like type in a message and it'll like translate it into like um, yeah. ones and zeros, so you know oh, how to do the breakdown. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's cool. I heard people do things like, uh, especially in in gent music, like take telephone numbers of band members 
and then like turn them into the actual like song part, you know, that's the tab on the, on the thing or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just crazy stuff because ultimately that's what avant-garde music is, is like taking the abstract or coming up with like your, your friends did uh, just saying, I'm going to make a four track album, just like revolver doing those kinds of things, putting limitations on yourself or making rules about what you're going to do is totally acceptable like that's not necessarily we were talking about expanding creativity at the beginning of this and that is a form of creativity you know to to put a limitation on yourself yeah steve Vai talked about how he um for practice sometimes he'll pull out well this is in the days of the phone books in the days of past i know exactly what you're talking about i saw that video the other day yeah he would pull out a phone book open up to a random page and play the page so he would play the numbers those were his. Those were his. Um, his intervals. He played a phone book. Hmm. So to to think about that, you know, eight six seven five three on I Jenny would take on a whole new concept. Yeah, yeah but like, let, but let's six, be honest. Seven, like five, three, oh. I wonder how many of his melodies actually came from playing the phone book. You gotta wonder. You get, wouldn't shock me because it comes to what you were talking about, where all of a sudden you've got this mistake or this accident. Now it's a happy accident. You know what I mean? You can pull that out. So definitely. So there's a story, and I'll share this about Vi, because I, I was watching you know, the Live at the Astoria DVD. The best thing about that DVD is the commentary track, because yeah. he reveals so much stuff about like what goes on on tour. And uh, if you haven't seen the DVD, uh, see if you can find it with the commentary track somewhere, maybe your local library or whatever. But, wa- but, but watch it, turn on the commentary track, and then listen to him talk during Bangkok. Yeah. Because he tells how that, sto- how that song happened, and actually what was going on was um, he was on tour with David Lee Roth and he'd been asked to learn a bunch of music. Um, and I think it's from South Pacific or something like that. Right. It's, oh, the yeah, music. yeah. The, the, yep. And he'd Why? given it to him and, and on this tape and he'd been listening to it at night when he was sleeping. And then one day he was in the studio and he was just playing and he's like, oh, I got to record this melody. So they went through this whole process, almost put the record out. He put it as part of a suite of other songs on the record. And it just as the record's coming out, some guy goes, you did a cover of Bangkok. And he's <laughs> like, what? And, and, and he didn't know. He had no idea. So just like you're saying, playing the phone book, come up with melodies. Yep. That was a total accident. So he ended up having to pay like the, the, uh, the original writers and stuff, like his yep. whole thing. <laughs> but uh, interesting story. So I got to ask you, um, have you ever had a band that was like, it got all done? Because this comes to contract stuff. Mm-hmm. You got all done and they went, oh, we want our stems. And you're like, no, I haven't been paid yet. Do you, do you have like a, an agreement with a band as far as like how much they put up front and how much they, you know, because obviously you're not just going to go, yeah, come on in. Yes. Don't Cause me I've any. talked to Steven about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Usually it's done by a case by case scenario, but what I try to do is um, usually there's a deposit at the very beginning mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of get the thing going in good faith. Right. And um, I don't give out any, you know, anything that they can download until I'm 100% paid. And I don't care how I'm paid or who pays me. You guys can work that out amongst yourselves as long yep. as I get, you know, what, what I'm asking for. Then yep. you can do whatever you want. I'll, I will be happy to give you anything you want from the session, you know. Yep. Um, as, you know, I can give you a final mix. I can give you different masters for different streaming sites. Um, I typically won't give away my um, 
logic project sessions. So you can see that makes like, sense. Cause you don't want to give know, away your secrets, so to speak. Exactly. You know, if, if someone gets a hold of my templates, they can just fill in the tracks themselves and right. they don't really need me anymore. Do they? But, right. um, at least that's my, uh, that's my fear, but yeah, I, I mean, the truth is though, it, but the mixing stuff is, is my own. They, they didn't, you know, that's mine, but they can have all the tracks. That's them performing. And it's yep. totally fine. They can have that. I really feel like, um, because you're saying like not giving the logic files, I give them the logic files. They, they're never going to be able to do it without, without, uh, I see the producer as a director in a way, or, or the engineer as a director, because like, yeah, you may have set up these templates and like give them all these different ways in which that they may, may approach the tracks. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the guy in the back of the room going, that's, that sucks. Like you can't yeah. hear that because you're too emotionally attached to the song. That's so like, much of the service that you provide. That was, was going to be, you went right into my last question. And that is that part of it. You provide more than just, here's the person that, that clicks buttons and hits record and so on and so forth. As a producer, can you, can you um, tell our, our, you know, our listeners, what is it that the producer provides that you would not be able to get otherwise? I mean, um, it's, it's an unbiased opinion. Um, you have someone coming from outside the group that's not in that bubble with you and can look at it ob- objectively and try to see it in a different way or, you know, just give you honest feedback on it. Um, so you pay them to be honest. Or if you have someone who maybe is on the fence about what to do or if uh, everybody has a plan, you know, whatever situation you're walking into, um, you're just going to be prepared to do whatever the client needs right yeah. um so when it comes to recording i just try to uh get an idea of what they want the final product to be and then however we have to navigate to get there you know i, I try to be flexible flexible is the name of the game right when right. it comes to this stuff flexibility so, mm-hmm. yeah like we used to say in the navy if you can't be flexible be fluid <laughs> i mean but yeah that's how you ended up on the floor i think that what a lot of a lot of people don't um, don't think about before they go in um, to any project is we all have feelings about stuff, especially if you've written a song. Bullshit. Yeah, there you go. It, it, I don't that, have any fucking word, feelings. That word has no feelings in it. Nope. Nope. Fucking don't. And <laughs> so, so when you're, when you're looking at um, uh, these things, uh, when you go into a, a room with a person that's, that, mm-hmm. that's why we hire a producer. Yeah. You don't, in these days, we just talked about it. We don't need you to hit record. Exactly. I, can, every, I mean, I hate to say it, but every idiot can sit sit at home now and make a damn recording if they want to. That's right. It right. just won't be good. But what, what a producer is really providing you is that, you know, I, I think this is maybe the real answer to your question. What the producer is really providing for you is that, you know, you are making an album. That is your goal. Now you have someone in the room with you who has made way more albums than you. Yeah to help right. guide you through the process, right? Absolutely. You're a project manager. Right. So keeping people on task, making sure people stay accountable, yep. uh, making sure people remain honest with themselves through the process. Um, everyone has to be on the same page all the time. So if someone doesn't like something, we better say it now so we don't waste time and go back and redo things. And, yep. you know, um, you can't hold your tongue in situations like that because no. time is money and there's no going back. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but... It, it all comes down to communication 
and being honest with yourself as you go through it and not having an ego and being open-minded because um, you never know what problems will come up, mm-hmm. which is the other thing too. You might ha- intend to do a record maybe this way or that way, but there are some things that, let's say, your guitar like shatters into a thousand pieces for some reason, like you take it out of the case and it yep. just all falls apart and then you have to play a different guitar. Or maybe we couldn't bring in that amp that you wanted, right. or maybe someone got sick and couldn't make it, and now you have to readjust the whole session. Um, so you never know what's going to happen. So all you can do is just be as prepared as possible. Right. So, so yeah, I want to make clear we're not discounting your services at all. Like no, we totally yeah. get it. Yeah, um, that's why we're we're asking these questions because yeah. I think I think that what happens is people think um, for the most part that they can just walk in and like I said, anybody, anybody, literally can. You can get a four a four channel one of these, and now you got a four track. And I've got a two track, but I can, as you know, I can bounce tracks all day long, and I can create infinite tracks in in Logic, mm-hmm. so um, or in uh, uh, Pro Tools. So if I'm if I'm an intelligent person, I can do all this stuff. I think that um, also it's it's part about that we didn't even talk about is is getting like left and right and uh because because you were talking about mixes for different streaming services mm-hmm. and tell us explain why it is that you need to mix differently for different streaming services um every streaming service has a set of guidelines for um the submissions for the audio files and so if you don't understand all the jargon in that um you know message it can be a little confusing as to what they actually need. And so if you don't know what they actually need or you don't know how to make the files yourself, if someone says, hey, you know, we're doing a single and it's going to be mostly streamed, it's not going to ever see a CD, uh, give me something that's appropriate. And so um, knowing what the medium is, I can make sure that it's hitting the right loudness level. I can make sure that it's in the right format. I can make sure, like, if they if they want an MP3 and not a wave, it's at the same uh, or is that the correct bit rate that they want? Um, and then even uh, iTunes has another set of guidelines where it's called Master for iTunes. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. And there's a, there's a specific process um, to go through, and it's, it's kind of complicated. At least it was when I first looked at it. Um, from what I understand, there's like a select group of people who can, quote, unquote, master your song for iTunes, or there's guidelines where you can do it yourself. Um, but I remember it all being very in-depth, whereas Spotify, they just up front, we want a WAV file that does, you know, hits at this level. Um, it will be played back at this level, and that's just the way it is. But with app, iTunes, there's something else going on there. Yeah, but, um, well, they were, they've been talking about um, iTunes mastering. I was, I was listening to an audio engineer podcast the other day, and there's a guy that was specifically says a lot of my work is actually mastering for iTunes. And he was very honest about it. And he said, you know, he said, um, a lot of people are poo-pooing this because they're saying, oh, well, they're being super specific about what they're doing. He's like, once you understand the process, he said, actually, mastering for iTunes has improved the fidelity of downloadable audio in mass for many of the people that are doing it. Because he said it, it's opened up the dynamic levels way more than it was before. You know, everybody used to be compressing for radio. So they want everything to be super loud, you know. And now it's like, no, we can have those louds and songs. Yeah. That really was gonna what I was about to ask you next is 
there has been, I think um, it was Rick Beato who was talking about how, um, uh, and I know Glenn Fricker talked about this too, this super compression. We complained about it in the 70s, the compression of pop music mm-hmm. um, in the 80s. And, and it's become even more super compressed and louder to the point that like, uh, so for people that, that might not understand what I mean, like you ever watch TV and all of a sudden the, the commercial comes on and it's really loud. You can't yeah. even turn your TV down low enough to get it past that loud, loudness. Um, what happened at the beginning of, of streaming services like Spotify and Pandora was that to get their music to be heard better, that these people would compress and, and yeah, I mean, it goes back to radio. I mean, that's where yeah. it started. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I was saying. So, do they do they have guidelines against that kind of thing, or is it more for that kind of thing? Well. Streaming services, I do believe, have uh, done a lot of good in reducing the loudness war or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's really not something you have to think about these days mm-hmm. um, because no matter what file you upload, the streaming service is going to output your music at a specific uh, level. Okay. Or they're going to, you know, the encoder is going to do whatever it, it does <clears throat> your music anyway. So um, let's say, you submit something to Spotify and it's like really cranked up uh, versus something that's maybe not so cranked up. When you play them back, it's not going to matter because Spotify is playing them back at the exact same level, regardless of what you decided to do to it. So if you leave more dynamics in, you're actually going to have a better sounding track because you can hear movement and stuff. And there's a little more leeway because if it's all coming out at the same volume, you don't have to try to, you know, louder than anybody but with that being said you know when it comes to radio uh the loudness war is still a thing oh yeah yeah getting your song heard but that's kind of the thing though you just have to know which arena you're working in so if you're a producer that works with tons of like active rock radio bands then you might have to approach that differently than someone who's just going to release something on Bandcamp. you know yep and not to say that one is more important than the other but you just got to know where is this music going to end up? Who is going to be listening to this? Uh, where are you going to hear it the most and make it sound best for that? Right. Yeah. So it's not so much as one's better or one's worse. It's know uh, who your audience is right. and what they're going to expect. And also you have some styles of music that sound better when you just crush it. Like if you don't, you know, turn up a death metal album as loud as you possibly can, you're not doing it right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He's got to slam it. So he said about ACDC, you know? <laughs> Well, well, that, no, this and, that, and, that, and that's a good point. And I think a lot of that has to do with like I would be totally fine listening to death metal and having like softer passages in the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that happens as much because partially because of the obviously the format of the music. You're not going to have soft passages in the Cannibal Corpse song. It's just not going to happen. Um, okay. But I could definitely see like bands shying away from that from the in the creative side of things because they're like well, if this is going to be a radio song, like we want it to be as loud as possible and as catchy as possible to get, you know, people's attention. And um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that um, I think we're reaching a point where it's going to take time to dial out this, this, um, this mode we've gotten ourselves into with expecting the music to sound that way. Um, And it's almost a natural. I mean, if you, if you've ever seen a guy do a mastering mix where they're, you know, 
they're hitting limiters and all this stuff, trying to trying to get the last ounce of you know volume they can out of the, out of a uh, set of tracks um, or a mix. Like it, it almost becomes its own animal on top of that. And honestly, when I've done my stuff, um, I do I do do my own mastering, which is terrible. I know it's not you're not really not supposed to do that because you obviously want to get a second set of ears to help you with that process. But when you master something and you listen to it. Um, you almost feel like until you master it, there's not that last level of polish that needs to be there. That has to happen before it goes on to a record or whatever. And I think we're getting to the point where we're almost going to be master agnostic in the future because we can just make a different mix for whatever medium we want. So I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say. As far as like mixing or mastering stuff on your own? or Well, no, I, I, what I was getting at was like, so, becoming mastering agnostic if we as musicians start to kind of like say okay so this mix is going on spotify and literally at the mix level you're saying okay so we can do it this way and then you know not having to do that like final stereo pair where then you send it off to the mastering engineer to you know make your masters for whatever you know medium you're going to send it out to you're obviously doing some of your own mastering right i mean i, I would assume yeah. Mm-hmm. okay so, yeah um yeah so i i try to um master everything that uh that i mix just so they have it and if they want to um take it to another mastering person that's cool they can do that if they want uh but as far as um you know trying to squeeze that last little bit out like you were talking about um you know i've heard of people going so far as to you know they they slam it really hard and then once it starts to distort, then they put another plug in on it to remove the distortion so they can go even further. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> what was it? Stadium Arcadium by Red Hot Chili. Yeah, Hot I think that's the one that was like mastered to death. It's like the hottest album ever recorded. <laughs> yeah. Like right up there with Death Magnetic, I think. Um, well, there's two albums that are on either side of the spectrum as yeah. far as what I yeah. enjoy. But you can, but those are really, oh, and then the other one was the single version of vertigo by u2 yeah that was it's another one they get talked about that was totally baked and uh you can you can hear it it sounds crispy when you listen to it and it doesn't matter how quiet or loud you turn the volume up you just hear that like like distortion in your speakers no matter what you do and that's yeah, it's like they like they about. they hit right to zero point one dB and then created like a square wave and cut everything off. I mean, yep. it's ridiculous. But that's, I mean, that's what they were looking for, right? I mean, exactly. So I mean, they didn't do it for every song and every time, you know. Um, well, well, I think I think a lot of the technology that they use today to master records like that didn't exist back then, no. ten years ago. Otherwise, you two would have been doing it. Because let's face it, they they have been about selling records for a very long time. Um, so it's like listening to trying to think of a good comparison. If you've ever listened to an original pressing of dark side of the moon versus I have any of the, uh, vinyl remasters of the past, maybe five years. Right. Um, you can definitely tell that, uh, like, especially if you listen to the CD version. Yeah. The SACD version is very telling. Yes. Um, so whenever you see like a classic album, like re- remastered it, they're really just kind of trying to put it at the same level as everything else that's current. So right. they have a, like a more modern version of the song. Um, yeah, which, I, which is always interesting. Uh, 
so if there's an album that you really love it's it's cool to hear the different reissues of it and yeah. get a feel for the different way they took the recording and i remember back in i want to say i was 77 or 78 i went out and bought um a heavy pressing I want to say it was gold or some ridiculous thing like that of uh, LP mm-hmm. of Dark Side of the Moon. It cost like fifty dollars, some ridiculous number. Which, which back then would have been like two hundred or three hundred dollars today. A pile of money. So my friends and I all get kicked together, the band. You know, we all kicked together. We buy this pressing and we listen to it. And, it like, and of course, we were used to we we knew the quadraphonic. We had the quadraphonic of it. We were like, yeah, this is all right. <laughs> but you know, this is the quadraphonic, and those guys were all stoned, and I just enjoy what I listen to. So it was, it was like killer cool, you know, to hear quadraphonic music. And I'm kind of surprised. It, for me, this is this is just me talking now. Uh, I've said this on the show before. For me, audio has actually moved back a bazillion years for me, in the most part, because most people are listening with these, and they're listening through that, and this, this speaker. Yeah, he's pointing at computer speakers and, and tiny earbud headphones. No, I'm I'm pointing to this thing. Oh, you're talking to the phone. Like, this little speaker works. right here. That's oh in the God, computer. let's not talk about that. Exactly. There's no. There's no I'm guilty. stereo here. There's no. Uh, well, and, my and, stereo, but. And then of course you're um like you said the the uh, computer speakers and I was actually pointing at my my iPhone uh, earbuds. It, it's like. <clears throat> how many people do you know you you are you run in different circles we do too who own a really good stereo who like when i was growing up quadraphonic i can't remember crazy. seeing one in a store jim that's I how long it's been a tape deck that that was made by nakamichi okay do you remember those guys i mean they had you're too young for that but nakamichi was the you know there was there was, um, uh, you know, people had Kenwoods, but we had Polk Audio yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and this stuff. And then Bose came out, tried to convince everybody that their stuff sounds good. And um, so it was like, I'm just saying that when you're mixing, how does that come into the, how does that come into play? How do these little speakers that aren't actually even speakers, there's no moving parts. There's a, there's a, there's a, um, well, I can't say no moving part, but it's moving in. Oh, yeah. yeah, like in like nanometers. <laughs> yeah, the um, what the average consumer listens to stuff on definitely is something that we have to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, so whenever we're doing mixes, we'll you know we'll check it on the nice monitors, we'll check it in the car, we'll check it on the phone. We'll, yeah. You know, always seeing where where it's gonna land. Um, but yeah, it is something you have to be aware of, and uh, of course, I wish everyone you know, cared more about that stuff. But unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Believe me, I grew up also with transistor radios. And then and then the 80s, everybody had a boom box. Right. For some reason, ghetto everybody blaster. had a boom box. They had this giant weight on their shoulder. Yeah, the ghetto blaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd have, it, it had lights. You'd have a, have a regular light show on And one ear went deaf. That's Disco why I can't wall. really hear that. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, actually, Jim, I don't think everybody had those. It was probably just you. Oh no! They were. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, oh, but it, you know, I'm just saying that that uh, yeah. Shit, you know, Jim, you had eight tracks. You have to. You have to think. Oh yeah, yeah. We did have eight tracks. I remember when I had uh, the first. My first Kiss album was on eight track. Oh my and, god! And it was dressed to kill. I think it had. And so they, they went. I want to rock and roll all night. 
and party every day. <laughs> That's what it said. They just didn't care when they put it on a track where the song got caught. <laughs> I was just gonna say, it sounds like it sounds like uh, you know you get to the end of side A. It's like that's what happened. Side B, yeah. <laughs> so it had to, but the eight tracks would then they were they were bovine and that they would run right. one way and then run and then the went, other way. Yeah, and so all the mechanisms. Had you to, did it with too much rhythm, Jim. I was afraid well, that our younger audience would not understand what you were saying. Yeah, <laughs> had to go into another direction. So there was this big pause. <laughs> you know what's great about eight tracks? You know what's great about eight tracks? Nothing. I don't even know if you if you knew this, Stephen, but people who are using um, uh, tape delays, the tape that's in an eight track is exactly the same width as what you'll find in most of your like Echoplex style tape delays. Yeah, so get a box of Yeah, and yep. use them for for uh, tapes for an Echoplex. <laughs> that huh. Interesting. Aw. Yeah, it's my uh, it's Michonne, uh, one of the show's mascots. She comes and <laughs> she hugs David towards the end of the show. Oh, she's adorable. Usually, she's uh, actually wiping <laughs> her head on the uh, windscreen here. Probably yeah. going to make her recording really interesting. Well, and actually, we can't hear it, which is good. Um, so, uh, for you know, we've come up to at least an hour, right? We, we, we're over now. Uh, we are hour 15. There you go. So, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, so uh, before you go, before you, you have to run, um, what uh, can you tell us like a story, your, your, a story of your worst band that you had to put up with, a story of the best band? Reveal, reveal the names. You don't have to no, tell. Don't me. reveal the names. Protect the innocent yeah. or, the, or the guilty. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let's see. What's what's a good one? That's not. Uh, it, it's it'll be fun enough for the show, but maybe someone who won't. Yeah, they won't hear us. Okay. No. All, all forty listeners or whatever. Yeah. No. We, we're we're up to like eighty or hundred now, but. Yeah. But they're believe it or not, we've got what thirty percent of us. Um, the listeners are outside of the U.S. Yeah. We have actually a lot of international listeners. Yep. Um, and we're we are still growing, which is shocking to me because i haven't been doing any promotion of the show lately mm-hmm. yeah so, we've okay. been, we've well, been here's, lazy here's a good one then um this one works because the band doesn't exist anymore um and this is why it's a good story uh so i've been working with this band for oh man how how long ago was this this was 2015 it was one of the first um like really big records I did. Like they had a nice budget. They wanted to do 13 or 14 songs. They wanted the whole experience, right? Yep. And so we um we finished drums, we did rhythm guitars, and then it came to bass. And oh uh, the bass player. And Glenn Fricker's gonna love this. It, it was one of those situations where the bass player did not know the parts. <laughs> <laughs> did not know. And like, um I don't usually appear on the records anyway. <laughs> And so, so I'm like, okay, so, you know, it just sounds like you're not comfortable with the songs yet. How long have you been in this band? And he goes, eight years. Eight years. And, oh my god. Oh my god. And I'm like, all right, well, we're we're gonna ha- we're gonna have a fun day today. Yeah. So we, about four hours into that, we we you know we're about halfway done with the first song, and uh, I, I kind of look at him and I look at everybody else. And I'm like, all right, this is this is what I'm thinking. Um, we're we don't seem to be making a whole lot of progress today. Yep. I'm gonna have you uh take the rest of the day, have you guys 
you know, have a little powwow, yep. get on the same page, work on your stuff, come see me in two weeks or so. Right. And we'll, we'll knock this song out. Right. Yep. And we were just, we had, we're not focusing on the whole album. We're just trying to get this one song done for this guy. And during that two week period, apparently things got pretty crazy behind the scenes with the band. Uh, bass player quit. And then it took them about six months to find a new one. And then, uh, so here I am. They finally find a new bass player. It takes him another six months to get up to speed. He comes in. We're, we're almost a year to the date that I last had this bass player in my studio. And it's a new guy. And he comes in, totally slays. Everything's awesome. Nails it. Everything sounds great. <clears throat> then, um, you know, vocalist comes in. Everything's cool. So here we are. It's like a year and, you know, four months into this recording project. Yep. Um, we're putting the fi uh, final touches on it. And uh, it's, you know, about ready to come out. You know, they set a release yeah. date. Yeah. They have a show lined up to promote it locally and all yeah. this fun stuff. And, um, you know, I'm working on the final masters and I get a phone call from someone in the band saying that, you know, their guitarist like went off the deep end and um, quit the band and he wrote all the songs and is like threatening us with a uh, lawsuit, you know, lawsuit if we release the album and, and I'm like, oh, this is crazy. So good thing I got paid before all this happened because they ended up yeah. waking up before the album ever got released. Wow. So that's like Kajagugu. So all of that, um, all that hassle, all that trouble, all that waiting, all that time, only for the album to never come out. And yep. I uh it I would was, shock people to know how many major albums don't see the light of day. Oh, it's true. I would say it it, it happens very rarely, but I would say maybe one or two projects a year. Uh, never see the light of day. Um, we had uh, we had um, Michelangelo Badio on here. His album didn't get released for whatever reason. I mean, he couldn't go into the specifics, but uh, the the Nitro album, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, the Nitro remake, it never got released. No, nope. I no. don't know if it's because I know Jim uh, and his uh, Lita have been having something, and there were a lot of things going on behind the scenes. But I yeah, know he he didn't want to comment. Yeah, I know Victor Wooten was a bass player. I was very excited about hearing Victor on a on a metal album. My understanding was actually finished it. Yeah, yeah, they, they, it's and, finished. Um, it's, in the can, it's in the can, but they can't for whatever legal reasons. They can't. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why he didn't want to burn bridges because he's thinking that maybe someday, like, it will actually come yeah. out. But mm -hmm. kind of a crappy situation. But anyway, yeah, no, I mean that your your story is, um, I I would say probably represents a good a good amount of material that people never hear, uh, both on the you know the super high end like um rock star level and right down to you know people uh, of our caliber who you know we want to make a record really bad and then your band breaks up or somebody sues you or just yep. or threatens legal action um right. you know and and yeah. actually in a situation like that that's why we jim and i've had episodes where we've talked about like you've got to sew that stuff up before you ever start one of these processes who's the guy that owns the song that's you know? right who's who's the guy that runs the books for the band like it, those are all jobs that yeah it's not the glamorous side of things and it's not the thing that most creative people are good at but yep. it's something you gotta do yeah the business side of things yep. that 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 uh, has killed many bands many bands that were uh that were classic rock 
um, didn't own their material and were touring. Aerosmith was talking about how they didn't own their own stuff. Mm-hmm. They were touring their songs. They had to have permission to play their own music. Um, and, you know, and we're talking about a band that obviously made a lot of money and snorted a lot of money. <clears throat> so, um, unfortunately, keep a band stoned enough they don't know. I'm not saying that that's what happened with your band. Right. I'm just saying that that's, that's the kind of thing that goes on in the background. Um, so, how about the best band? I mean, what is the other than your own? Because obviously <laughs> your your band is really good, and they could come in and they could punch it in. What is what is the best experience you've had? Um, a really good experience I had. Um, oh, this is great. So, I got a call from this band. It was a bunch of kids that play out in. Um, they all go to James Madison University together. Uh, they're in the guitar um, course there. Mm-hmm. Guitar or something like that so they have this band it sounds like a bench sevenfold it's really noodly and kind of cool like that really proggy so i was like all right sweet sounds like something i'd like so uh they come in and he actually brought in his uh line six spider and was ready to record i'm not <laughs> even kidding he brought the line six in. he didn't he had no idea that that was like a thing that we talk about yeah. in the studio world <laughs> yeah he brought it in because it's like well this is my amp this is what he's got there right yeah. you know and you know it's, it's fine it's no big deal yeah, and then you're like, no, plug into this guy over here, you know. So I thought yeah. it was going to be really interesting when when that happened, but no, like these kids came in, they were you know 18, 19 years old. The youngest one was 16; he was still in high school as a drummer. And they come in and they track all their crazy Avenged Sevenfold prog songs together live in my studio, and they are totally on point and are with it. Wow. And it's like they've been playing together for 30 years, but you know they're only 18 years old. Yeah, it was yeah. one of the best um sessions i've ever had um just with you know you thought you were going to get one thing and you got something else and um the bass player was actually the guitarist girlfriend that he had coaxed into joining the band she had never (laughs) played an instrument before and she came in and impressed me so much and um had her act together better than a lot of other bass players that i've had in the studio and so those guys it was such a pleasure to work with uh, they knew what they wanted. They had a vision for everything. They went very meticulously uh, into their rhythms and parts and made sure it was all tight up, tightened up before they even came in. Yep. And we knocked out a whole five song EP in two days. Wow. That seems so. like, it seems like with that musical style, the proggy style, you would have to have that level of musicianship where it's almost a given. Yeah. That if that's the kind of stuff you're doing, you're already where you sound awesome. Yeah, if that's what if that's what entertains you, chances are you know what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, it wasn't a, you know, everything has issues, but as far as what you would expect from people that young, um, the first time they've ever been in a studio yep. ever, the first time they've ever recorded themselves in any capacity, yep. and they just come in and knock it out of the park. Yeah, you can't ask for anything more than that. So right. yeah. So yeah, that was that was a super positive experience. And, um, yeah. So I if you were going uh, <clears> to <throat> recordings are like that. Yeah, I wish. I wish <laughs> they're not going to be. Mine. <laughs> Mine were definitely not. It was a microphone in a basement. Oh, is that the time you got really, really drunk and <laughs> yeah, decided you were really going to make a record? Yeah, we made a great record. Oh man! Until I listened to it the it morning like- after. It was like Family Guy that that episode of Family Guy with Lois and uh, um, Peter's. Um, they get uh, they get high and record this music, and then they get done, and the next day they listen to it and it sounds awful. That's exactly what it was. 
But um, yeah, Jack Daniels did not help me. Um, so I don't recommend that. He's not a friend so, of yours. Um, I got to ask you uh, the, um, this question. If you were to give someone advice, the, our listeners advice, as far as what is the one thing that you were, that they should look to do before they get in the studio, <clears throat> whether it's an individual or as a band. And um, what is the thing that they should look for? Because obviously they can't, not everybody can come to you. Not everybody can make it to Pittsburgh. But um, <clears throat> what is the thing that they should do when they're looking for a producer um, to, so that, like you said, to vet, because there's got to be vetting on both sides. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, so yeah. what, would you, what would you say there? Really try to find someone that you connect with on a personal level. Um, it, it helps when, um, you know, you're a group of guys or gals or whatever gels really well with this extra person you're bringing into your space and think of it that way. You know, if anyone who has a band know that there's a band dynamic and so you don't want someone that's going to come in there and mess up that dynamic in a way that's not productive to the project. So, um, a lot of the bands that I work with, I feel like an extra member sometimes. I was just going to say the fifth um, member or sixth member, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because we have this, uh, we have this trust amongst each other that we are there to service the song in the best way possible, and anything that we say or do, you know, with each other during that time is going to be in good faith towards the end, right? Right. And um, so, just find that person that is going to communicate with you in a way that, um, you know, makes sense and is, uh, you know, with what you guys are all about. Um, so that's, that's the best advice I could give. Um, it would be like, it's literally like inviting another person into your band. And if you don't want to spend time with them, then you probably shouldn't have them in your, in your world. Right? Cause you will spend, I mean, <clears throat> you oh, will yeah. spend eight, 10 hours a day together sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. For, I mean, for, for a full-length album with a reasonable budget, I'm looking at anywhere between um, 40 to 70 hours working on that project. And I would say half of that, I'm with the band. Yeah. So, you know, 40 hours of, you know, working hard with someone, you guys better like each other, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, otherwise, otherwise, it's going to be some arguing, maybe yeah. some fist fighting. <laughs> that's right. So if, if you guys... Uh, let's say you have a group that's really open-minded and you're open to experimenting um, and your producer is very rigid with certain things. Maybe, maybe that's not necessarily the best uh, way to go, or maybe that's a good thing for you because maybe you're a little scatterbrained and this person's going to kind of keep you focused. So they're going to rein you in. Exactly. So, you know, there's different styles for everything, but just, um, and, and the other thing too, is don't be afraid to give someone a shot too. I know you're putting your money on the line, but uh, I, I really like to believe that the majority of people who are, um, you know, they spend all this time and money to learn this craft and they're, they're investing their time and energy into providing gear to, you know, make good products. Um, you know, just use your best judgment, use your gut. If, if someone's giving you a weird vibe, you're probably going to know right away. Yeah. So it's like anything else. And what advice would you give to people as far as what they should learn if they decide, you know what, I kind of want to go into that, into your realm, into the producer mm-hmm. engineer realm. What would you, what would you say to them? Cause there's, there, it's not cheap. 
Oh no. <clears throat> and uh, you probably have a lot of money invested in your equipment. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I don't say, I, I say probably because I don't want to throw a number out there, but um, yeah, I, I, won't, I wouldn't tell you the number. If yeah. you ask me. No, <laughs> and, 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 no, you shouldn't. <clears throat> um, and uh, there's a lot of good reasons for that. Sure. But um, the reason I say that is because let's face it, it's not, it, it's not like buying guitars. It, no. there, there's yeah. a lot of money that goes into that. Cause you've got to have equipment to track everything. Well, and, and in general, the, ex- the companies that are selling this stuff expect you to be using it professionally like that. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> the, um, the question I would ask you is like, when I was a kid, you went to full sale. That was the, that was the place. And a lot of people still go to full sale to get um, uh, a, a degree in that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What kind of things did you study? Um, and what kind of things did you do to prepare for what you're doing now? Um, well, it all started for me when I was in high school. Um, I was really interested in making demos for the band I had when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And I had a, an iMac with GarageBand at the time. This was like 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, you know, that's how I would write my songs. So I would just put stuff in GarageBand. And then when I got to college, um, I, started, I started college as a guitar performance major doing classical guitar. And then halfway through, I switched to music composition because um, I enjoyed the writing process more. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of led me into learning more about recording because there was a recording program at my school too. Right. Um, and then, um, but when I was at college, I learned like the basics of audio and all that fun stuff. But you don't have to go to college to learn how to do this. There's right. a lot of resources online. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of these um, audio education programs that have cropped up. Mm-hmm. Like Nail the Mix is really good. Yeah. Um, Hardcore Studios is another good one with Jordan. Last name starts with a V. He puts out some really good material. Uh, Glenn's a really good resource. Yep. Uh, Glenn Fricker. Um, so, you know, all that information's at your disposal. You don't need a formal education. But for anyone who wants to really dig in and learn some practical knowledge, find a way to get into live sound. Then you'll start learning like the basics of audio, and then you can kind of um, use that as a foundation for when you go into recording. So you'll have an understanding of mic placement and how how a mixer works, and you know how to um, listen to different sound elements against each other, like basic stuff like that. Um, but you don't have to go super crazy. Just um, you know go through it methodically and have a plan and think critically, and you'll be fine. Awesome. It's uh, I think a lot of people overthink audio. You yep. see stuff on forums all the time about well, you have to do it this way, and there's all these rules, and it's like no, just just use your head. Yep. If it makes sense, give it a shot. If it doesn't work, then just go back. It's yeah, really, my yeah. my whole thing is just trust your ears. Exactly. Like, honestly, if you know what you're doing, like just use your ears. That's what you're gonna do anyway. At the end of the day, I, I don't think school can teach you that. I think what school does because I took a lot of recording science classes and stuff i think what school does is it like it teaches you how to interpret what your ears hear and maybe makes you a little bit more sensitive because you're exposed to a lot more but at the end of the day the basic techniques and stuff can be gotten out of a manual yeah yeah i I would i would definitely agree with that i think my um education in audio drastically increased after i left college yep what college taught me was how to be my own best teacher and how to disseminate or not disseminate, but how to filter out bad information. Right. Um, knowing what is good advice and what's just frankly crap. 
Yeah, when you see the hocus pocus crap, like the uh, those Zephyr pickups we were talking about in the group. Yes. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the Seymour Duncan Zephyr pickups for a thousand dollars a set. Yeah, because they're because they're made with uh, uh, silver wire. I saw an article where a guy was talking about like the the um, frequency response of silver wire versus because he was doing all these mathematical calculations, and he basically showed like the pickups are point zero one thousandth of a you know kilo ohm different. Uh, it was yeah. just some ridiculous number that it's like. So basically, what you're saying is the fact that they use silver wire means nothing. <laughs> you know. Yep. Yep. Silver is a good conductor. There's a completely different thing. We can go, we can talk about that on another, another episode. Yeah. But I mean, it's not, it's not worlds beyond copper and that's what they're doing. No, doing. no. It's more about how long it lasts and the conduction right, right. In, and the environment uh, that it's in. But anyway, so um, one last thing, we got to ask you this question because um, we ask everybody about, you know, their, their best, their worst and everything else. But we also want, to give you a chance to what, what kind of things that are you're working on and that you want our listeners to know that, Hey, Stephen Miller has got this coming up and this is exciting and you should check this out because obviously there's your channel, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and um, we, just like everybody else, we're trying to grow um, and we want to help other people grow as well. And if, if we can give you a few listeners and a few viewers, oh, then, sure. then that's, that's awesome. Plus we work together. I mean, this is our second time, Mm -hmm. um, doing this, but we've talked oh, yeah. in the, yeah. in the last year several times. So, um, yeah, I try to comment on your, uh, group as much as I can. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. See so are, have you got a Facebook group? Have you got a, you know, um, I don't have a group. I have a page on Facebook and I have a YouTube that is not live yet, but it will be shortly okay. once I get that all up and running. But, um, the tag on both of those would be Stephen Miller recording. All right. So Facebook, um, slash Stephen Miller recording or YouTube slash Stephen Miller recording. Um, again, the YouTube is not live right this second but it is coming soon so all the stuff that i've done on facebook so far i will upload to youtube and then i'll start once i get in gear doing the youtube thing that's where you can find most of my stuff awesome okay awesome. and then um as far as i have to do a shout out for some cool projects that i've worked on mm -hmm. um lately um just yesterday was the cd release show for an album i worked on from the band vomit stain this is their first um label release with severed records the album was called piles of human debris so okay. go check it out from severed records all right um, my own band slaghead uh is about to release an ep um sometime this year yeah. um, so keep a lookout for that as well that's cool and um there's a whole bunch of other cool stuff i have a couple more live stream events planned for this month and um i'm mixing tracks that people have submitted me from uh either my Facebook page or um, just people who know me. So if anyone's listening to this, um, I'm active in the Practical Guitarist Facebook group. So if you see me around, you can comment or private message me. And if you want uh, me to look at some of your stuff, yeah. um, feel free to, you know, let me get a hold of that stuff. Yeah, because we're, yeah, there's stuff that we, we need to be able to do too. And I, I would certainly have, rather have this guy than me. Yeah. Oh, dear. And if anybody is listening and uh, is interested in working with me on an album, um, you know, I'm based out of Pittsburgh now, but I also work with a lot of remote clients too. Um, there's a guy in Alaska that I work with. He has his own recording setup and he sends me drum tracks. Uh, there's a guy out in North Carolina who is like a dubstep producer guy and he'll send me his stuff to mix. And so um, 
no matter where you are and uh, if, if you just need an extra opinion or you want someone to master your recordings or whatever, yeah. you know, don't be a stranger. I'm, I'm a normal guy online, just like everybody else. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and uh, I can say that uh, cause we, we put up audio, so you don't have to worry about what you look like over here. <laughs> the, the, um, <laughs> this guy's got, He's got the hair to prove he's into rock, bro. I think it may actually be longer than Glenn Frickers, which is yes. impressive. Yeah, yeah. So I got four inches cut off a couple of weeks ago. So. Yeah, see. you can't tell. You're in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Jeez. Um, four more inches. You can wear it as a belt. He's just getting um, ready to escape from prison. That's all. When, when, uh, yeah. So uh, you're in Pittsburgh. Hopefully, um, I'll be going by you on the way to. Uh, um, to uh, gear fast. So, um, maybe, maybe, uh, if you get it, if you're going to go out there to see that, that's a, that's a, um, a heck of a thing where a lot of folks are out there uh, mingling. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, not Nam. You can actually buy stuff and take it home. And, oh, that sounds and you, and, and, uh, but you can, you can commingle. And with the prices of, are stupid. It's like a show floor style yeah, event. But, yeah, but uh, it's, it's big. Yeah. No, it's so, and they, you can buy anything that they sell online there, and they have ridiculous discounts, like, like 20, 30% off almost everything. And stuff like that. Yeah, you could, you know, I mean, <laughs> I know you're not using stuff like that for live guys like me. That's a, that's and it's a all new. It's not like used stuff or anything. Like it's, oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure. You can never have too many 57s in your studio. No. 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 And, uh, I plan not, on buying four this year. I could never have enough in my bag for when I go to a gig either. Mm-hmm. 57s, 58s. I use it a ton. One of the other reasons why I'm down this weekend, uh, my band is building a project studio inside of our rehearsal space. So that way when, you know, they have ideas, they don't have to wait for me to travel down. And, yep. you know, the whole studio is um, two pencil condenser mics and a bunch of 57s and, <laughs> you know, yeah. eight, eight inputs. And they just, you know, they have it set up to where they hit a button, they play the song and they can shoot me an idea and, you know. You can never have too many workhorse microphones in your setup. Yeah, exactly. Right. So hopefully in front of it, it's going to work. So yeah, hopefully we see you out there. It'd be a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Then Glenn Fricker was there last year. Maybe we could all. Where's, where's Gearfest usually? It's in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So it's not very far from okay. Because yeah. you're over there on that side of. Uh, mm-hmm. Not usually always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. All, well, no, I mean, it's usually in June, not always. <laughs> Is that the Sweetwater Gearfest? Yeah. Sweetwater yeah. Gearfest. Yeah. Yep. So they have a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it's not just uh, not just guitar. Just like most guitar players think, Nam is all about guitars. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. But well, the industry is so much of the crap that gets sold now, though, is aimed at us. That yeah, yeah. But so anyway, thanks for coming by oh, and being on the show. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, we, I know that we'll we'll try to get you again um, because uh, this is this is fun stuff. Oh yeah. You, What's that, David? Are, are you going to take us out tonight, Jim? I'll take us out. I've been Jim. And I've been David. And I've been Steven. And, and we've tonight. been the practical guitarists. <laughs> I did it, too.